seen the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Anybody? Few, few of us. Uh, it's one of those, I, wouldn't, I don't know if it's a Christmas movie, more of a Thanksgiving movie. It's kind of a get ready for Christmas movie for our family. And we like it. There is a, a scene, I, I've got to say, that we fast forward through because of language. But uh, if we could pull that out of there, it'd be a, I'd love it even more. It's a funny movie. Uh, I like the, the movie except for that. But what it, the reason I'm bringing it up is as we get into this story, uh, where it's, one of the, it's the last uh, travel story, if you will, of the Apostle Paul. And when I th- consider the traveling of Paul, a good portion actually of Acts is about uh, Paul's missionary journeys. There's three of them recorded for us, and the travel stories that are scattered in there always grab my attention because uh, we've, we've always had adventures and whenever we've traveled. There's always something that goes wrong, things that happen. You know, when I think of Paul's travels, I think we could have titled the story, if we were making a movie about it, uh, Boats, Walking, Horses, and More Boats. I mean, it, if we're going to use the planes, trains, and automobiles uh, as an example. The Gospel of Luke, and uh, also the, Gospel, uh, the book of Acts, he wrote both of those, are really like two volumes together. In fact, Luke addresses both of these to Theopolis, a friend of his, apparently, but with clearly the intent that these were to be circulated uh, among the churches as well. Uh, His gospel, he says in chapter 1 of of the gospel of Luke, was carefully written to give an account of all that Jesus began to do and to teach uh, up until the time that he was taken up, he says, where Acts is the story of the ongoing mission of Jesus on this earth, in and through his church. And so uh, Paul's missionary journeys are a big part of that. Acts takes us all the way up through Paul's imprisonment. And we're kind of getting, in this story, we're getting close to the end of the story of Acts. Paul's not quite to Rome yet, where he's going to be imprisoned there. Uh, That's where Acts will wind up. But from the day of Pentecost, all the way through the book of Acts, Dave uh, Pentecost is recorded in Acts chapter 2. Throughout all this, we see the dynamic presence and power of the Holy Spirit on display. It's a major theme in Acts. Uh, we see the, the Spirit empowering the apostles. We see signs and wonders being done. But also, throughout, uh, there's evidence throughout the, the churches. The Holy Spirit is filling and working in and through just ordinary brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel is going forward throughout the earth. Uh, It's just a tremendous book. And I think you guys went through Acts a while back, if I remember right, talking with uh, Mark. So this will be familiar to you. Uh, We see the Spirit moving prophetically at times, even working through ordinary circumstances, guiding the mission at every step along the way. Uh, and it, all of those kinds of things gives me faith and hope that God, he, He's doing the same thing with us. He can lead us uh, as we are also continuing on this missionary journey that we've been left by Jesus. So every aspect of our life, together as communities, individually in our neighborhoods, is all part of God's gospel mission. But, but like Paul, the other thing that we all experience is you know, along the way, there's trials, there's hardships, there's challenges. Uh, some of them are, are, are big, 
And some of them are enduring. Uh, Paul's had quite a few of these. So another theme that we see woven throughout the book of Acts is the sovereign hand of our Lord at work throughout all things, uh, through the empowering work of the Spirit, bringing about the perfect uh, will of God in, every, in everything. And that, too, is something God is continuing to do in every one of our lives as well. So we're going to read together uh, the entire chapter of 27. It's, it's, a, it's a long chapter, but I, I, I'd rather just, if we did nothing this morning than read the Word, I think we'd be well served. So we're going to read the whole thing. So uh, dive in here with me. Acts chapter 27. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salomon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put to sea from there on chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempest wind called a northeasterner struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, we used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the citrus, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Neither, with neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. 
all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you and all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. Then when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took soundings and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the rope of the boat, ship's boat, and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food. It will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land. But they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make it for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Let's pray. Lord, you're, it's amazing the, the details and some of the stories that you have provided for us in your word. We thank you for this one, Lord. We pray that it wouldn't just be a story to us, but that we would, as we unpack this, we would be encountering your spirit 
illuminating truths from this story, from the text of Scripture in this story to our minds. Lord, I, I pray that there wouldn't be any of us that are, that are left unchanged today by uh, sitting under your word. Give us ears to hear, but also hearts, Lord, to receive and apply things from your word to our lives. Be glorified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, quite a story, isn't it? It's a long story, uh, even just to read it, but uh, man, just amazing. As I think about this, here's how I would sum up the, the text and this sermon this morning that disciples of Jesus will encounter storms. We just will, because all, of, all people in humanity, we all encounter storms of life, metaphorically speaking. So disciples of Jesus will encounter storms, but our Lord allows and will be with us through the storms. You might recall Jesus saying that not a hair on your head falls to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And if that's the case, then certainly in the midst of storms, He is with us, and He's allowing them or ordaining whatever's happening to happen. As we're going to see, Paul had to walk through these same things, just like we do. Now, I mean, this is a pretty dramatic situation, a storm. But I know some of you are walking through some things, and all different levels of trial and hardship, because I know that, not prophetically, I just know that because... We're all on the same fallen planet and have things going on in our life continually, ebbing and flowing. So I think that there's a lot in this story that can help us, that can serve us this morning. So disciples of Jesus will encounter storms, but our Lord allows and will be with us through the storms, which makes all the difference. We're going to look at this in three points uh, this morning. First, we're going to look at the Lord is over the storms. And then secondly, we're going to look at his presence in the midst of the storms. When he allows us to go through storms and ordains storms, he is with us. And then third, we're going to look at his, his gospel purpose through the storms. Because he always has a purpose in what he's doing. We are on mission with Jesus. All right? All right, number one, Lord is over the storms. A little backdrop to this story will be helpful because this story is part of, a in the book of Acts, the story where Paul is going from Jerusalem to Rome. And that's where the, the whole book of Acts is going to wind up. And so we're, we're on the way to Rome. But before this, back, back in chapter 24, verse 27, Luke records that uh, Felix, the governor of Judea, had kept Paul in prison for two years. Now, Prior to that, the way he got there is uh, Paul was in Jerusalem. The Lord had directed that he was going to go there, uh, prophesied many times that when he got there, he was going to suffer, which he did. Uh, he, there was a riot uh, that was stirred up by the, the elders and chief priests in the city where Paul was almost killed. He was almost beaten to death. The Romans rescued him from that. And there was a, another attempt on his life. There were, there were brothers in Israel not brothers as in Christians, but uh, Israelites, who made a vow to kill Paul. Word of this got up to the uh, centurion there in the city. And so to, to keep this from happening, they sent Paul to the governor. 
So that's how he wound up in Caesarea under the governor. And there he sat under the governor uh, in trial. The elders and chief priests from Jerusalem came up and they had this trial. And they brought all these false charges against Paul. They found him, did not find him guilty, but they also didn't release him. Felix, for some reason, leaves him in prison, not convicted of anything, just charged for two years. So this is the backdrop. Paul's already a prisoner, and he's been in prison for two years for something he did not do, and things are just lingering. So you talk about injustice, you know, so here's the Apostle Paul experiencing extended injustice. Uh, what happens is then uh, Felix uh, is t- replaced by Festus as the governor, and uh, he's left in prison. So Festus coming in, the new governor now, he's going to hear this trial. So he does. Paul has to go through trial again, and all the same false charges are brought. He's not found guilty, but he's also not released. In fact, Festus uh, initially seems less inclined to be manipulated by the chief priests, not wanting to capitulate to them or appease them. But then along the way, he decides he he wants to give a favor to the Jews. He's looking to win some favor among them. And so he says to Paul at one point, this is in chapter 27, uh, or 25 rather, uh, he, he says to Paul, look, if you... I can send you back to Jerusalem. Would you like to go sit under there under, for your trial? Again, be a third trial. And Paul knows at this point, if he goes back to Jerusalem, this is a death sentence. He knows there's people out to kill him. There'll be no justice for him in Jerusalem. So he appeals to Caesar, which is his right as a Roman citizen to do so. Now, there's going to, as a result of that, Festus has to send him. He has no choice. He's going to go there. It's going to take time to arrange for him to be sent. Months, maybe several months. And during that period of time, Paul is then brought before King Agrippa. He's the Jewish king of, uh, at that time of Judea. No real power, more of a figurehead kind of thing. So now, what has happened during all this time, Paul's imprisonment, as hard as it must have been for Paul to be imprisoned all this time unjustly, he has now, he's gotten to preach the gospel to various centurions, soldiers, two governors, and now a king. So thus far, this is what we can see God doing through the suffering of Paul, working out his sovereign purpose, doing exactly what he said he would do when he called Paul to ministry after his uh, conversion experience, that he would be taking the gospel even before kings. And he's already, so I mean, already Paul, is, he's had so many different opportunities like this. But, but here it is again, as a prisoner, he's still being used by God. All right, our text now opens in chapter 27 with Paul being delivered over to a Roman centurion whose job it is to take him to, to Rome, where he'll sit under trial. And so this has been already an incredible time up to this point, but now the journey begins, this incredible journey on the path on the way to Rome. So verse 3 through 8 of our text, we kind of see the not-so-calm before the storm. Uh, compared to the storm he's going to go through, this is not so bad, but we see their first stop was a trading port in Sidon. And there, Julius, the centurion, and I believe... Uh, the Lord had moved on him to be kind to Paul because it says, Luke 
says specifically, he treated Paul kindly. And the way that he treated him kindly is he allowed him, when they got to this place, Sidon, to, they were going to be there a while. As things prior were being loaded and unloaded off this ship, he gives Paul the freedom to go and be housed, you know, either at friends or under his own expense, rather than being in prison on the boat. He could have sent him to a local prison to be held until they're ready to go, but he allowed him some freedom. Now, all the commentaries I have would agree that uh, because we see this uh, in other uh, references later with Paul, and it would have been common in this day, you wouldn't just let a prisoner go. He would have had a Roman soldier probably chained to him 24-7. They had been on a rotation, taking turns. There probably been three of them uh, throughout a 24-hour cycle chained to Paul every single day. But rather than being in prison, Paul has some freedom. So people can come see him. He's in a house somewhere in this town. People can come and go. But think about you know, this act of kindness, which I think was something the Lord had moved upon the centurion to do. Instead of him being locked in a prison cell, gave Paul, as a prisoner, still some freedom. And so every guard that would have been chained to him would have heard the gospel. Don't you think? Can you imagine Paul not sharing the gospel with a guy that's right there all the time? Not only would he have done that, but they would have been with him as he is having people come and go, and he's sharing the gospel and counseling, talking about the mission. These guys would have gotten an education about what God is doing in the earth. This is no ordinary guy. Can you see the hand of God? Even in Paul's imprisonment, you know, chained to a guard, that does not stop the gospel or the purpose of God. Now, most merchant ships in this day were not really very good or equipped to be in the open sea. Uh, their sails also didn't work well against the wind. So what we read, starting in verse 4, is their journey was difficult. As they go past Cyprus, then to Myrna, Lycia in, in chapter 5, the journey was slow. We see a couple of references to that in the story. It was hard making any progress. Uh, finally, you know, in Lycia, Julius found, finds the ship headed to Italy. That's where they need to go. Uh, this new vessel is also full of grain, and we find in verse 14 or 37, there's 276 people on board. This thing is weighed down. And this is the ship that, taking them all the way to the shipwreck time. They're, they're moving again still slowly along the coast against the winds. Finally, in verse 7 and 8, we see they arrive at this place called Fair Havens, where things only get, go from bad to worse at this point. They, it's been a low, slow, arduous journey, but the problem is now it's getting late in the season. And in this time period, ships would not typically take off during this season out into the open sea especially because the storms and the winds, the ships are not capable of handling that even. So Paul is a seasoned traveler, knowing these things. We don't have any indication this was a word from God. Just Paul himself offering some advice, saying, guys, I don't think, in verse 9 through 10, I don't think we should go on this trip. I think we should stay here for the winter in Fairhaven. Because if, if we go, I fear we're, everything's going to be lost. The ship lives. So they don't listen to Paul. I mean, why should they? This old Jewish preacher guy, why should we listen to him? Uh, 
the centurion's listening much more to the owner of the ship and the pilot, who are both there, a part of this journey. Also, uh, Luke tells us the harbor was not really suitable, which means it wasn't well protected. The ship may not even have made it in dock. Uh, It wasn't the best place for a lot of reasons for them to stay, but going out is very dangerous at this time of year. So uh, this is the condition. But right as these kind of discussions are happening, Luke gives us the impression that a decision's kind of been made, but just in case they're, they waver and decide to stay, we get a sense that you know, the Lord wants them actually to go out in the danger. Because what we read is all of a sudden, at this point, there's a gentle south wind that begins to blow, coming off land. I mean, it, it, you know, they're, they're sitting here, they're making poor headway, they're not getting anywhere, and all of a sudden the wind changes. For them, this was a sign. Yes, we should go. Let's go. We've got the, the winds are at our back. Let's go. It's gentle. It's calm. It's so inviting. Let's, let's just go. And that's, so they go. Now, what this tells us is, is God has, has a sovereign purpose here. You know, it's, it seems possible, at least, that they might have thought about it some more and said, you know, we're not going. Although God had promised to Paul numerous times, actually, that he was going to go to Rome, that he would actually stand before Caesar. Uh, so, you know, he's got that in his mind. Yet God never told Paul that the trip to get there would be smooth, easy sailing. Uh, in fact, as we see now, the Lord is actually setting it up for them to head right into, like, the worst storm of the century kind of thing. And that's, that's where they're going. They don't know as they take off, this nice gentle breeze, let's just go, la da 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 You know, what this tells me, I mean, it tells me a number of things, but one, is storms and difficulty, even suffering, does not mean that you're on the wrong path. You know, our first indication is if we see something looks hard, suffering's ahead, oh, that can't be the Lord. But sometimes the Lord is actually leading us right into the storm, right into the heart of it. That's what He's doing here. That leads to my second point, His presence in the midst of the storms. We're told this, verse 14, this tempestuous wind, tempestuous wind struck. It's a tempest. And the way that Luke puts it, he says, soon, it's kind of like out of nowhere, you know, they got this nice gentle breeze, and also, I don't know what happened to that thing, but all of a sudden, off the land comes this tempest. Uh, this is like a hurricane. All right, so that's how you have to think. Has anybody ever been in a hurricane? No? I, I grew up in Florida. I went through many hurricanes. <laughs> and so I have a little bit of an idea. I, have, I grew up surfing. I surfed. I look forward to hurricanes, actually. We, us stupid young people, went out and surfed in hurricane surf, uh, not in the heart of it, but usually in the front end or after it was just passing, there would be these amazing, humongous waves, which rarely happened in Florida. So we lived for those moments. I could not imagine being in a ship, though, in the midst of it. But that's, this is what's happening, something like a hurricane. Have you guys ever seen the movie The Perfect Storm? Anybody? Uh, I've only seen it once. It freaked me out. Um, even having grown up, you know, surfing and being in boats. 
Even just the, the trailer of the movie shows this little ship with this monstrous wave. It's having to climb up. If you've seen the movie or even the trailer, you, you can get a little bit of a taste or a feel of what it would have been like with this wooden boat loaded down with cargo and people that doesn't, even in the best of conditions, has a hard time going against the wind. And now this is what they're into. Monstrous waves, howling winds, uh, this is the conditions that Paul and everyone on this, this boat finds themselves. From the outset of the storm, they were already in deep trouble. What we're told is the boat was caught. You know, if a hurricane even, you know, it could be anywhere from hours to maybe 24 hours, it'll pass over. So, you, you know, it's intense for a long period of time. But, and there's a part of it that where it's really, really bad. It's not so bad on the front end and the back end. But if you're caught in it, it's days, and in their case, weeks, that they're just carried along, tossed in the heart of the storm. Can't get out. That's, what, that's what's happening. And so they just gave way to it. There's nothing else they could do. They were being tossed and driven, humanly speaking, at the mercy of a storm. We know they weren't at the mercy of the storm. They were really at the mercy of God, <laughs> Right? Until they briefly, they're in this storm, they're caught up, and we find out there, verse 16 through 20, there's a brief time where they are uh, caught up uh, behind this island, and they get a little bit of a reprieve. They have no ability to stay there and hide out there. It just kind of took them there, and it's going to take them right on out, and they know this. So God has given them a little bit of a respite, if you will, in the midst of this tempest. And so what they do is they bring in the dinghy that would have been hang, you know, dragging behind. They also latch up, strap up the boat, probably with ropes. Um, that's to keep the boat from falling apart. So now they, they, they're, they're back out into it. And as they continue to be tossed around by the storm, we read in ver- verse 16, they began to throw gear and then eventually tackle overboard. And then Luke writes in verse 16 that we managed with difficulty, which seems to indicate that Luke and Paul, perhaps, everybody, it's all hands on deck, are involved in doing whatever they can do to try to keep the ship together, throwing stuff overboard, latching stuff down. With difficulty, we managed, he says. See, friends, on one hand, this story uh, is about... God's sovereign purpose, his gospel purpose, in and through Paul and these men at this point. But it's also recorded for us because it, it serves us to think about the storms of our life and how, how God is with us. The mission that Paul was on is the mission that we're on as well. The Lord is with us. And if he's allowing things in our life, there's things that we can glean from that. That's important to keep in mind as we move on and consider in verse 20 through 27, there's kind of another, what I would call a fear not, I'm with you moment. Paul's had several of these. We're told that they had been going without food for 14 days. We're talking two weeks of no food. I, I can barely make it to lunch. Um, 14 days, no food in the midst of this storm that every moment could be your last. This is what they've been in. It's so intense. And what Luke tells us, and he he uses this phrase, all hope of our 
It's another kind of our we moment of being saved was abandoned. So even Luke, and, and as we'll see, to some degree in the midst of this, even Paul was beginning to, to be shaken by this, wondering, am I going to make it? And he had several words from God. He knew he was going to make it to Rome. God had a purpose. You're going to Rome. Whoops, here's a storm. Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Paul seems to be questioning. Because what we see here is Paul stands up in the midst of this moment where everybody is, has lost all hope. Paul stands up in verse 21, firstly with an I told you so. <laughs> I told, you, told you guys, you shouldn't have listened to me, shouldn't have gone. Um, we, if we stayed back there, we'd be okay right now. But, okay, get that out of the way. Verse 22, he encourages them, says, take heart, for there will be no loss of life. We're going to find out how Paul knew that. It's because God revealed that to him through an angel. Now, before we unpack that, uh, what I want to do is just take a, a moment to consider how um, th this is not the first time Paul has had this type of an experience. I find this encouraging. Uh, Paul has, has found himself at various points in time discouraged and needed the Lord to remind him of what's true to remind him of who he is in Christ, to remind him of his purpose that he was told from the beginning when he first got converted what was God was going to do with him. But when you get in the midst of hardship and trial, sometimes we lose sight. We need to be reminded of these things. And So Paul's had a number of these, hello, Paul, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you moments. This is one of them. But if we go back to Acts 18, what we find is Paul was in Corinth and was discouraged. And if you go back and read this, everything that happened before that, you'd understand why Paul's struggling. He's got some antsy feet. He's, he's about ready to move on again because he's not wanting to get stoned or beaten with rods, uh, driven, you know, put in prison. He's, he's ready to go. And he gets this, uh, has this vision where the Lord comes to him and says, do not be afraid but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Which Paul did. He stayed two more years in Corinth and established Corinth as one of the you know, serious churches in that region for the gospel for many, many years. We might also recall about three or four years before this storm, uh, when the Lord first began to reveal to Paul that he was going to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome, uh, he held on to that many, many times because there was all kinds of trials along the way for Paul. In fact, the, the, the Lord revealed to him at different times how he would suffer in Jerusalem, how even, he even knew he would wind up in prison after he got there. And yet Paul knew because God had revealed, stay the course, I have a plan, I have a purpose for you. Just two years before this storm, Paul was struggling uh, with discouragement and fear, apparently, again, in Acts 23. And in verse 11, we, we read that he had this encounter where the, it's, Luke says, the Lord stood by him. The Lord revealed his manifest presence to Paul. I'm with you, Paul. And he said to him, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. I mean, Paul has to be kept being reminded of this. 
Uh, that makes me feel good because I need to be reminded again and again that the Lord is with me. He has a purpose for me, especially when we go through difficult times. You know, we're wondering, Lord, where are you? Where are you? So even Paul needed this. As we move on, you know, we, we see now Paul stands up in verse 23 of our text, shares with the men, last night, guys, an angel of the Lord appeared to me. And here's how he put it. The, an angel of the Lord, of the one to whom I belong and whom I worship, was with me. He, he got this revelation. Now, it, he doesn't say that the angel told him that the God to whom you belong and whom you worship sent me. It could have been that, or it could be just that the angel of the Lord coming reminded Paul, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, I belong to God, and He is with me. He's the one I worship. He has a purpose and a plan. But we do know that Paul, at some level, was struggling, because the first thing he says the angel revealed to him in verse 24 was, do not be afraid, Paul. So That tells us Paul was needing that. In verse 24, though, then he's... he's says, what else the angel told him is he reminded him, once again, you must stand before Caesar. I mean, Paul knew this. This is like the third or fourth time he's had to be reminded of this. Got a plan for you. No, no, you're going to stand before Caesar. So he, the, the angel reminds him, but then the angel tells him this, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Some commentaries would say that, you know, taking this in the context of the, of the whole story, it seems likely that the angel meant a lot more than just everybody's going to live. I've given you these men, Paul. I've got a purpose even through the storm related to these men. They're all going to make it. See, friends, if we serve and follow Jesus, there, there will be trials. There will be storms in our life, hardships of various kinds. Scripture tells us again and again to expect that. But we are also told many times, do not fear, do not be afraid. In fact, the Lord has promised in various places of Scripture that I will never leave you or forsake you. Paul needed to be reminded of that, and we need that as well. And God has given us His Word that speaks these things, very things that Paul needed to hear to us. Psalm 118, Hebrews 13, verse 5, are just a couple of places where the Lord says very explicitly, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Maybe you're going through something right now. You, you need to be reminded of that. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. Some believe uh, both Colossians and Ephesians are considered prison epistles. The most likely scenario is that he wrote them from prison in Rome, which is where Paul's heading now on this journey. So keep that in mind that uh, you know, Paul went through all of this all the other trials through his life, but now this storm. He's going to be shipwrecked in the next chapter. You know, so there's still more trials, more hardship to come before he gets to Rome. And he'll be a prisoner in Rome for at least two years before being released. Somewhere in that period, Paul wrote to Colossians, and he says this, Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We sang some of these very things this morning, some of the songs we sang. Seek the things that are above. You know, don't, don't look out horizontally. Don't allow the trials and the hardships, the things that the world tries to get us to, to consider and think. Don't allow those to define you or define what your circumstances are about. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? For, he, he looks back to what Christ has done. You have died. Your life is hidden in Christ. This is about who you are now. This is what Christ has done. This is about who you are now. And then he looks, points us forward. When Christ, who is your life, appear, you also will appear with him in glory. So we've got, we've got promises from God, not only about who we are now in him, and that he is with us all the time, every day, no matter what we're going through, but promises about what, where we're headed. And we're not just headed, we're not headed to Rome, we're headed to heaven. There's things, those are absolutely true. And when we think about those, that frames in whatever we're going through right now very differently, doesn't it? It may not take away some of the difficulty. Well, it won't. But it does make all the difference about how we can go get through those times, knowing these things. So in the midst of a storm, struggling with fear, just like Paul, turn to the Lord for His help that he would remind you through his word of the things that are true, that what Christ has done, who you are in him, that he is with you, he will never leave you, that he has purposes and promises that cannot fail. So whatever this is I'm going through right now, I don't know how it's going to work out, but this is where I'm ending up. It's going to get me there. And the Lord is with me in the midst of it until I do, until I arrive safely home. Another thing about this story to me is taking courage in the Lord requires faith and action. You know, after exhorting the men with what, with, uh, what the Lord has revealed to him, that none will die, Paul then shares some of the qualifying actions, though, that must be done for this to happen, as the Lord has said. Verse 26, we've got to run the ship aground. And the where he puts that seems to indicate that the Lord revealed that to Paul as well. Not only are you going to make it, but you've you got to run the ship to ground. Uh, sailors would not do that willingly or easily. But this is what it's going to take to survive. Uh, there's other things they had to do. If it, to running it to ground isn't going to happen by itself. There are things that these experienced sailors know they have to do in order to make the ship run to ground. They didn't have a boat motor to guide it, you know, there's, there's, but they're skilled. They know what they've got to do. They've got to, at the right time, cut the anchors, set up a certain sail, and head in. You know, so they, there's things that they're going to have to do to bring this about. Another thing is some of the sailors decided on their own, the best thing for our, save our own skins, is to leave the ship. And so they're trying to sneak out, uh, lowering down one of the dinghies and, and make it on their own and leave the rest. And Paul tells them, he tells the centurion, unless every man stays on this boat as we run into ground, we're all going to die, basically. Well, wait a minute. God just said not a hair on anyone's head is going to 
be lost. Not one life is going to be lost. Oh, wait a minute. If you get off the boat, everybody's not, no one's going to make it. So or, how could both of these things be true? Well, God works through means, oftentimes. Now, God, God could have just brought them in, right in, and crashed them onto a beach without any of their help. I'm sure of that. But that's not how he's, he's operating. He revealed to Paul his will. But now, in order for that to happen, Paul, there, there's things that have to be done. If those things aren't done, no, you, you actually won't make it. People will die. That's very much like it is for us. You know, we're not to be fatalistic or lazy in response to the, the revelations of, that we have from God of His sovereignty. That He is providentially working in all things, sovereignly in control, He's all-powerful. That's not, that's not an a invitation for us to just sit back and just not do anything. God works through means. While nothing can thwart his plans or purposes, we are also responsible beings uh, who will be judged by our thoughts, our words, our deeds. You know, it, uh, there's a number of examples that I, I can think about, but for instance, when we uh, pray, have you ever thought about the fact that God is sovereign, and yet if you pray, what, what, is, what part does that have to play in God's sovereignty? There are things that God has predetermined to do according to His will in people's lives and in the earth that He's also predetermined will not take place apart from His people, His saints, praying. He's ordained prayer as a means through which He's going to bring about His purpose in the earth. So prayer absolutely matters. It's a part of the very will of God. Sometimes we, we don't discern how God is moving on us to pray but when we do, it is a spiritual activity of God that comes with power because God has a purpose in it. He's working in it. How about in evangelism? You know, we know from this, God's Word and His sovereignty that uh, Jesus said, no one can come to me except that the Father draws him. You know, that if anyone comes to Christ, it is by grace, as a gift from God, Yes, through faith, but it's by grace. And yet Paul reveals in Romans 10, if no one goes to preach, how will they hear? And it, you know, the only way people are saved is that they hear the gospel. Now the Spirit quickens that, opens up, you know, shines, shines the light of God's truth into people's hearts. There's a spiritual work that takes place of regeneration. But unless they hear the gospel... I mean, God could send angels, but that's not how He does it. He sends us. And if we don't go and share the gospel, there are people who will not hear it and therefore will not be able to respond. So our preaching the gospel is part of God's sovereign purpose and plan unfolding moment by moment and day by day. And so in a very similar way, here in this story, there are things that God has, has told Paul that He has planned, He's purposed. You're going to make it, Paul, to Rome, but I've also ordained this storm. We've already seen how, Paul, how God used Paul's suffering as a prisoner to bring the gospel to governors and even kings in Judea. He's on the way to preach the gospel, ultimately, to Caesar himself, the emperor of the whole known world at that time. 
But along the way, God has some other things for Paul. It's not just a straight run. Now they're on this ship, and God has a purpose. So this is my last point, is God's his gospel purpose through storms. See, is, it, is it possible that we're seeing God's saving work unfolding for the men on this ship? The centurion, the Roman soldiers that are on the ship? I believe so. You know, it's interesting that we're hearing for the first time in verse 29, after Paul shared about this vision, and you're all going to make it, but here's what we got to do. Got to run the ship aground. The men that night, they, they put the anchors down and they pray. I mean, these heathen sailors, rough and tumble. I mean, these are some, some seriously rough dudes that are merchant sailors like this. And yet here they are, maybe someone for the first time having a prayer meeting on a boat. Uh, Apostle Paul probably leading it. Not only that, but uh, we, Paul encourages them, we see in verse 35, to eat. And then we're told, and this almost sounds like a, a prayer meeting back home, you know, he took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it. It's like this fellowship meal is about to happen. And he's with sailors and soldiers, you know, uh, you know and Luke is with him. You know, but, you know, so he, he's having this meeting. Suddenly, Paul's got a whole different role on this boat. He's not just a prisoner right now. Right? He's being used by God. And these men are now doing something and hearing some things that they have never heard. In the midst of a raging sea with hurricane strength winds and driving rains. Paul's probably shouting, actually, to say the things that he's saying and having a prayer meeting before they eat. Then we read how they were all encouraged by this and ate. I I mean, what's going on here? I would suggest the Holy Spirit is at work. He's ordained all this. They're in the midst of a storm because God wants these men to hear the gospel. Yeah, I, I want you to preach the gospel to this Roman emperor. But God, God is no respecter of persons. He's saving people from their sins, even down to the lowest sailor on this boat. So the Apostle Paul, on the way to, to the emperor, is getting an opportunity to demonstrate the, the presence and power of God in the midst of it to these men. See, sometimes the Lord ordains storms and trials uh, simply to work things out in our life. And I'm sure he was working things in Paul, Luke, all the rest. But sometimes he's also using these things to position us, to be in certain circumstances with certain people at certain times so that the gospel can go forward. We can testify of Jesus. Share the, the only hope that we have. Our hope is not in government. Sorry. It's not in anything in this world. Where is our hope? This world is passing, is perishing, the scriptures say. Our hope is in Jesus and all that he's promised. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming that we're to be a part of. That's, that's where we're heading on our journey. And God uses us to communicate that to people here on this earth or dead in sin, they're they're going to hell unless they hear the gospel. Sometimes the Lord positions us through the circumstances He allows us to go through and the hardships to be in a unique place at a unique time for a gospel purpose. The result of all this in verse 44, Luke says, 
and all were brought safely to land. Imagine that. Of course, that's what, exactly what the Lord told Paul was going to happen. But the path to get there was, was scary. <laughs> there were times it didn't look like they were going to make it. Paul himself was, was struggling for hope. But here they are. God, God brought them through this storm. But what did that mean? It meant they had to go through a shipwreck to get there. It wasn't just the storm, but now you got a shipwreck and everybody's going to be in the sea. That must have been scary. You know, we got a reef and we got huge waves crashing. They don't even have surfboards. I mean, how are they going to get? They got to get to the beach. Somehow they made it. All of them made it safely. Commenting on this, Kent Hughes says, "Why Why are there storms and shipwrecks? God, he says, who controls the winds and the waves, could certainly have spared Paul this dire strait. We know that whatever God allows to come our way, he loves us and will give us sufficient grace to endure and remain faithful to him. That's what really ultimately matters to God, is that we be faithful. The worship team could come up. Just one closing thought before we pray and just re-engage our hearts in worship to God. As I've already stated, friends, storms will come. We may not always understand why. Even as uh, Kent Hughes mentioned, we may not understand why we're in the midst of the storm. Lord, why have you allowed me to go through this? But to know that he has allowed it, to know that he is with us, can make all of the difference. He's going to use whatever we're going through, not only for our good, sometimes even for the good of others, but ultimately for His glory alone. Amen. Let's stand.